Well, welcome back, church. It's been, yeah, you can give it up. Yeah. (laughs) I'm excited to be here. Uh, Welcome everyone that's here in person as well as watching online. I've been waiting to say that statement uh, since March, which is a crazy season that we've been in. I, I was in student ministry for a decade, and this takes the cake in terms of craziest things I've ever been, been through. Uh, before I begin my message, uh, I would be uh, remiss if I did not uh, thank some uh, incredible men and women here at our church, primarily our, our leadership team. Uh, I, I want to thank our elder team, our chair elder, Jim Cherisi, uh, Don Bowers, Bill Gallagher, David Trout, as well as our, our staff team, who uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, uh, but about four months ago on a Friday, uh, I went live on our church's Facebook page and said, we are having services. And then I did a, a pump fake and said, we're not. And we uh, really hadn't had services since, since then. And had it not been for our elder team and our staff team, um, there, is, there is no way we could have pivoted as quickly as we could have pivoted. Uh, thankfully, I don't have to uh, have all of the skill sets to play on this team. I'm not LeBron James. Uh, so I'm thankful for our staff team, for Brian Yakey, Donna Murphy, Jenny Lacasse, as well as Andrew Frost. Whether you're here in person or online, would you mind giving them uh, a, an applause? Yeah. Uh, so thankful for our team. You know, when you do stuff uh, in teams, you don't have to bear the burden solely, and you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. And so thankful that God has not only wired us relationally to live in community, but also to lead a church uh, in uh, community. I want to start off our new series, Reset for Reentry, by asking all of us a question that we ask each other all the time, but we, we, send, we, we, we tend to answer with, I'm fine. The question is, you already know what it is, how are you doing really? How are you doing really? Think about it. Over the last four months, uh, things were going really well at RCC. Our, our church numerically was growing. Spiritually, people were taking next steps. We baptized about 30 people last year. Things were rocking and rolling, and then bam, Rona showed up, and everything stopped on a dime. Not only that, we were uh, asked to stay in our homes by our um, local officials. And so things that we were used to uh, experiencing, primarily options, were stripped from us. You couldn't go to a restaurant to have a meal with a friend. You couldn't grab a cup of coffee. And then on top of that, in recent weeks, you're dealing with racism, uh, violence against um, citizens, as well as horrible violence against uh, police officers, and nobody uh, has anywhere to go except for, it seems like, online. And I just feel like it's been uh, constantly putting gasoline on the fire, gasoline on the fire, and more gasoline on the fire. So I want to stop and ask us, how are we doing really? Uh, that's why we're kicking off a new series for the next five weeks called Reset for Reentry. Uh, I, I, uh, uh, Donna Murphy, our awesome, incredible admin, has been on uh, our staff and elder teams to make sure, keeping us accountable, that we call the two or three people that she sends our way. And one of the questions that uh, I've been asking folks when I've called them is, what, what is the thing that 
that has really, in the, in the last four months, what, what has been revealed to you, whether, whether ugly or beautiful, about you and, and, and your relationship with God? And, and I don't know about you, but for me, the consistent answer I kept hearing was, I can't believe how incredibly busy um, I was before the pandemic, how much I was married to my schedule. Like, I finally realized, wait a minute, my boss pays me a salary I still get paid the same if I, if I work 80 hours a week. Why am I spending so much time at work? Do my kids really, <clears throat> excuse me, need to be involved in everything, even to the detriment of their own, possibly their own spirituality and their own spiritual formation and their own spiritual development? To which I asked the question, how are you doing, really? And so today we're going to talk about and this isn't in order of importance by any means, but I think week one is incredibly important. We're going to talk about this idea of resetting our being, who we are in our personhood. Um, I read an article in The Atlantic that reads like this. I want to share a portion of it with you uh, today. The article reads, In a curious reversal, aspirational objectives are not luxury goods like a nice watch or a nice car, but instead bragging about how busy you are. Wanting to seem busy is how one gains status in a culture that values productivity and busyness above all else. You know, it's really hard sometimes, I think, to follow Jesus in our culture. And no matter what country you live in, every culture has its own sets of values and struggles. But I think it's really hard to live in a culture that says busyness and accomplishment are the trophies you should strive for. And as we're doing this, the pandemic hits and forces everybody to stay in one place, right? This happened to me a lot when I was a kid. My mom picked me up by my arms and said, sit here and look in the corner. Don't move, right? And I think for a lot of us, because I would get in trouble a lot, um, I, don't, I think for a lot of us that, you know, uh, metaphorically or symbolically, that's kind of what has happened. Like, we just, we just had to stop dead in our tracks. And maybe for you, like me and some other of our friends, we, we feel like a car crash waiting to happen, um, just in a moment, one other thing that comes across our social media feed, one more news story that we see on the TV, man, we're going to lose it, um, which is why I appreciate Jesus, as it turns out, so much, uh, because he asks really good questions. And in Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 34 through 38, Jesus asks a really inviting and interesting question as we consider what does it look like to journey with him even in the midst of this pandemic. So whether you're here in person or watching online, uh, I would love for you to grab your Bibles or if you have a smartphone, you can download the Bible app and search Mark 8:34 and follow along with us uh, as well. So here's the story that Mark tells for us, uh, a teaching that Jesus is going to give to a group of people. It reads this way. Mark 8, 34, then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him uh, along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple or my uh, student, my learner, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, <clears throat> excuse me, in the gospel will save it. What is it? What good is it? Here's a great question. What good is it uh, for someone to gain the whole world, 
Here's a soul question, Jesus asks, and yet you forfeit your, your soul. Or what can anyone in exchange uh, give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is asking the question, what is a soul worth? Is it worth the, uh, your, your, your mortgage, your house payment? Is it worth a brand new car? Is it worth a million dollars? What is your soul worth to you? Uh, if anyone is ashamed of me, in my words, in this idolatrous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his Father's glory uh, with holy angels. Jesus asks a really heart, soul-level, pastoral care kind of question that simply goes like this. What good is it if you have the most incredible experience in this reality called life, and yet on your deathbed with hospice beside you, it hits you? I've not really thought much about eternity. I don't really know what happens when I close my eyes on this side of eternity and open them, however that works, on the other side of eternity. Uh, I, I had grown up in the church, went to a really great church. I, I, always, I always thought of this story and this question as uh, somebody else's problem, right? Because, um, hey, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Christ. I was baptized when I was 10. Jesus surely isn't, he's not talking about, he's not talking about me, is he? Well, the reality is, friends, that scripture often talks about life and death being two different events and two different realities. Yes, you will one day die. Sorry, 10 people out of 10 people who are born end up dead. It just, it is what it is, right? But the other aspect of the Hebrew and Jewish writers would also say, you can be alive, but be, as the TV show is described, the walking dead. You look like you're alive, but inwardly, um, your soul is destroyed. And so I, I would imagine that if you ask some of your Christian friends, uh, hey, when you hear this question from Jesus, what, is it good, what good is it to gain everything and lose your soul? What do you think he's talking about? <clears throat> They're probably going to say the heaven and hell answer, right? Why? What good is it to have all of these accolades, this great experience on earth, and then just to give it up right before you slip into eternity? But if you were to ask the same group of friends, hey, I know you read your Bible, you go to church, you pray, you give, you're following Jesus. You're, you, you are the real deal. Now, in light of that, would you consider yourself somebody that's at peace? Would you consider yourself your, would you consider your soul to be at rest? Are, are you centered in the gospel? And to be honest with you, friends, it's not, not, a, not a question of judgment, it's a question of reality that I think, myself included, we find ourselves followers of Jesus in our journey, but yet a little unsettled in our soul, <laughs> a little unsettled in our spirit. Abraham Lincoln was a lawyer before he became president. And I like Honest Abe because he was disorganized a lot, like me. His office was a mess, so much so that he actually had a folder that said, that read this, if you can't find it anywhere else, look in here. All right, that's my kind of guy. That's my kind of leader. Just crazy enough that you want to follow and just see what happens next. But the reason why I tell you that little story 
is because I think it's indicative and a reflection of maybe our souls, right? In that, if you're that disorganized, you're cluttered. And I think a reality that might be true for us is in light of what's happened in the last four months, we might identify with the fact that we, we have a cluttered soul. It's really disorganized in here. Trying to decipher what is true or what isn't true, or if that's the question we should ask about this pandemic. Trying to uh, decipher between uh, racism and violence against uh, the African-American community and against the police force, uh, wondering um, if we still want to say, uh, talk to the same friends before COVID, after what we've seen them post online, post-COVID. There's a lot of stuff, if we're willing to be honest and not religious, there's a lot of stuff in here that uh, is disorganized. It's, it's, it's cluttered. And so let's talk about what it means to be a person, to have a, you know, sort of an existential statement, to have a personhood. What makes a person a person theologically? And so our staff team has been going through a, a book called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Great book. Highly encourage you to pick it up. Great book on uh, spiritual formation, and it's all about the soul. And on page 42 of the chapter, he has this uh, little diagram of what makes a person a person. And at the beginning, or the center of the concentric circle, is the will. And the will is all about desire, isn't it, right? We said before the pandemic that we exist to invite people to journey with Jesus. And on our journey, there are four different pathways that we can engage in at any time simultaneously or one, one at a time, or honestly, for some, none at all at, at some points in our lives. But one of those pathways is the journey inward. And the journey inward asks the question, um, what is my deepest desire and greatest longing? And can I name that in the presence of Jesus? And for maybe some of us, I know for some of my friends, the reason why they've never given uh, church or Jesus a shot at all is because they don't think uh, in terms of following Jesus as a decision of the will as much as it is about religious judgment and condemnation, right? The question, what is your deepest desire and greatest longing, and can you name it in the presence of Jesus, comes from a story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus heals a blind man. But before he does that, he asks the blind man, what do you what do you want me to do for you? Think about that. Is that your friend's picture of what a God would ask? Wait, what would you like me to do for you? And he's not, Jesus isn't dropping the hammer. He just, he really wants to know, what is your perception of your reality? What is your greatest need or greatest desire or greatest longing? And are you willing are we willing to name that in the presence of Jesus? Think about what has happened to you and how you have processed the last four months of this crazy year, ironically, 2020. You'd think we'd be a little, we'd see this coming, right? Sorry, bad dad joke. What, what have you been processing over the last four months where you say, Jesus, this is really where I'm at? And as we talk about the will, I want to encourage you to express that this week, to get some time alone with God, grab the scriptures, a pen, a notepad, some paper, and begin 
writing a prayer out to God, Jesus, this is where I'm at. Would you help me discern what I'm feeling here? And secondly, as we move out from the will, uh, Orper talks about the mind, right? And in Romans 8, 6, Paul says the mind <clears throat> governed or controlled or dominated, depending on what version you have. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Uh, my wife and I, uh, a couple weeks ago, were sitting on the couch watching uh, some show on Netflix, because what else are you going to do during a pandemic, right? I mean, to be honest, as horrible as a pandemic is, as Americans, we've, we've got it pretty easy. And we were talking about one of her favorite movies, The Avengers. Uh, and there's not, um, there's not many opportunities in, in our marriage where I get to flex my theological education. Uh, and I don't want to do it too quick, because then, boom, right, guys? The hammer will drop. Anyways, we're talking about Avengers, and we're talking about Thanos, and Thanos is a guy driven for power. He is hungry for power. He is hungry for autonomy. And he will do whatever it takes to get whatever he wants. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Trying to you know, sound intelligent in front of my wife. And then she just gave me the death stare. And I said, I'm sorry. That's, that's interesting because like in the original language, in Greek, Thanos means death. And you think about the movie, right? Thanos spends his whole existence looking for these gems. Sorry if you're an Avengers fan. I don't know what the word is. Looking for these gems, like these five or six, seven gems. And once he does it, he believes he will have complete power and complete autonomy and complete control. And you know what? He was right. And what did it do to him? It killed him at the end of the movie. That's what Paul's talking about. You can be alive you can have a beating heart, <laughs> you know, you can have good cholesterol, a healthy body to exist in. But Paul also says you can also be dead in your earthly existence. And what he's talking about are people that are just thinking about themselves. Now, they might do it a little more casually than Thanos did uh, or does, but the end result is the same. And so if our mind is always focused on our personal interest, our own self-protection, uh, our own making our way through life as we see it, Paul says, we, we can do that. You're allowed to do that. Um, even, even atheist scripture says, well, they don't use the word atheist, but even the writers of Psalm and Proverbs, even non-Christians have the ability to flourish right here as they're living their life on earth. And yet Paul reminds us, if you live that way, be careful because the end result will be the existence you're already living and you don't even know it. But after the conjunction, right, Paul says, but the mind governed by the spirit is what? Is life and peace. So Paul says you can basically be dominated by two different things, death or life and peace. Uh, I, I kind of like life in peace. Last week, we talked about Psalm 23 and how David uh, talks about a good shepherd leading his sheep to quiet, still waters. And the reason why a good shepherd would do that is because when water is quiet and it's not you know, crashing on the rocks or uh, running a crazy, aggressive stream, uh, sheep feel comfortable when it's quiet. And we also talked about last week how water is sometimes an analogy for the Holy Spirit. And the tension that we wrestle with in our minds every day, especially during a pandemic, is just the, the simple yet 
really awkward, <laughs> thorn in our flesh question of, do we want to submit ourselves under God's word? Do we want to place ourselves under the guidance of the Spirit so we can experience life and peace? The word submission in the New Testament just means to place yourself under someone or something. When you were in middle school, maybe you played dodgeball, and then an adult wanted to take your head off and threw a dodgeball at you. When you dropped to the floor to miss the force of the dodgeball, you were submitting yourself to the dodgeball because, hey, no pain is no pain. That's the same thing that the scripture writers are telling. When, when we're submitting to God or the scriptures, we're placing ourselves under the scriptures saying we don't want to live as Thanos lives. We don't want to live like the walking dead. We want to say, hey, maybe we're not the main character of our story, right? Maybe we're not the lead actor or actress in a movie that's about ourselves. Maybe, maybe Jesus, the God of the universe, is the center of everything, and to experience life and peace. Maybe that means we need to read his word and place ourselves under it, because after all, submission is our protection, too. So we talked about the mind. We talked about the will. Thirdly, let's talk about the body. In Romans 12, Paul says, the, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, and in view of everything that you know about God or you think you know about God, all the lessons you learned when you were a kid, uh, summer camp, middle school, high school, adolescence, adulthood, everything that you know about God's mercy, this is what Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, here's the difference, friends, between an Old Testament and a New Testament offering. An Old Testament offering ends at the altar because the priest has to do things to that animal. A New Testament offering begins at the altar, or maybe we could say begins at the cross because the gospel says that Christ died on the cross uh, on our behalf for our sin. So our thank you to God is leaving the cross, right? We don't need to constantly provide animal sacrifices hoping God will forgive us. That's more of like karma uh, ideology. But it's this idea that Jesus died for us once and for all, and we don't have to worry about if God's going to strike us dead or not because he already struck his son dead in our place for our sins that we can move out from the cross and begin to add value to other people in our life, both digitally, online with our social media feeds, and personally, the people we interact with, go to school with, and even work with. When we ask the question or think about the body of what makes a person a person, we're wanting to ask the question, what does it look like for you to add value to others? Who is benefited by you being in their life? Lastly and finally, uh, we talk about the soul. Uh, Dallas Willard in one of his writings says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, not your thoughts, not even your attentions, or even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of every human being. Now, here's a really wicked cool text that I found of all places in Leviticus 26, 11 
when God says this, I will make my dwelling with you, my soul will not reject you. Think about that. God's promise to us is that he wants to make his dwelling with us, or to use an Old Testament word, um, he wants to tabernacle among us, or to use a New Testament word in John 1, chapter 1, uh, Jesus wants to move into our neighborhood, right? God says, I want to live among you, and my soul will not reject you. Now, why is that important? I think you already know the answer to that, because what has damaged our soul are really personal things, right? Things that people have done to us, maybe in our childhood, adolescence, or adulthood, or things we've done to other people. And depending on our mental health, things we've done to ourselves. And so part of why we don't journey with Jesus, or maybe your friends stay away from Jesus or the church, is this notion that if I come, the building might crumble or catch on fire, or God will strike me dead. But God promises us, in the third book of the Bible, I want to be with you. And the most intimate part of who I am will not reject the most intimate part of who you are. God is not in the business of rejecting souls. The gospel is in the business of restoring, revitalizing, and redeeming souls. Friends, if we lose our way of being, we will lose our soul. And we have an opportunity to think about that, right, over the next couple of weeks, couple of days. And I want you to seriously take um, some time to think about that. What does that look like for me in my life? And so I'm a competitive guy. I want to give you uh, a little bit of a reset challenge, if, if I could. I'm going to go through some of these questions uh, over the different parts of what makes us human. And if there's a question that sticks with you, would you just um, write it down or just Uh, remember it, and I really want you to wrestle with it over the next couple of weeks. And so when we take the reset, our being challenge, let's ask a few questions here. When we think about the will, let's ask the question, what has my grip, right? When the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God, the Hebrew phrase, be still, means let go of your grip. What are we holding on to right now in this season? Is Is it an opinion? Is it an emotion? Is it angst against somebody else? What has my grip? And as we think about the mind, let's ask the question, what what has been consuming my thoughts? How has my mental health been lately over the last four months and what I've been experiencing? And as we think about the body, let's ask the question, how can I make a difference? How How can my person, right, add value to somebody else this week? whether that's digitally online through my social media platforms or physically in person. And as we think about the soul, let's think about this question, which I love this question. It's the beginning of the journey of the inward journey. What is my greatest longing and desire? And am I willing to communicate that in the presence of Jesus? My friends, if we lose our soul, we will lose our way of being. Before Jesus was murdered, he didn't pray for the church to be right or wrong, or big, or small. He prayed for the church to be unified. Don't allow this season to destroy your soul. Jesus wants to come alongside of you. So let me pray, and we'll continue uh, in worship. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for the ability to gather together uh, as your church, uh, both digitally online and physically in person. 
Um, it's, it's been a rough year. It's, it's been hard. It's been emotionally draining. We've been exhausted. We've wrestled with boredom. We've had to say <clears throat> goodbye to things that we had planned for some of us years in advance, vacations, weddings, um, high school graduations even. Uh, and there's a lot that we've been processing. And so I, I pray for our church that we would put those at your feet and say, help, help me process what is actually going on in my life so I don't allow what's in me to destroy me. God, we thank you so much for your gift, that you're willing to come alongside of us and journey with us, and that your soul, I love that, your soul will not reject us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.